right, we're in uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 2. Brief review. There are three uh, eras left for us. We're in one. We have one here. You still can't see, can you? Everybody see. We have a. We have three ages. We have the present age right now where we are. That's where we are right here, in this age. The age to come is called uh, the millennium, or the mediatorial kingdom, the kingdom of Christ. That's the next age. And the final age then is the eternal state. Heaven, we know as heaven. It's the eternal state. So, we're right here. Before the millennium comes into pass, the world will go through a renovation, and that'll happen at this point. Every mountain will be moved, every island, every mountain will be taken down, and every island will be removed, and uh, a lot of things are going to happen there geographically, as well as politically, politi politically, yeah, I can't say it. politically. So. Uh, all of this is going to happen in what is known as the Great Tribulation. Uh, it described and uh, spelled out for us beginning in uh, Daniel chapter 9. But in Daniel chapters 2 and 7, God gives a, <clears throat> a picture of the Gentile worlds which will rule the world, starting with Babylon and going through uh, the Medes and Persians, Greece, Rome, and then the latter stages of the Roman Empire. And uh, then destruction, and then Christ will come and uh, set up his kingdom. So we want to talk about this life in this kingdom this evening. What's that, what's that kingdom consist of? And we'll start out with uh, Luke, or not Luke. I do Luke tomorrow morning. Isaiah chapter 2 verses 2 to 4. And uh, somebody go through and read that for us. Just read it. If you would, please. Isaiah 2, 2 to 4. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall incite disputes for many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruners. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn more anymore. Okay, uh, last week we talked about the fact that there was a king coming and a promised king, and that king has not ruled. He would rule over all the nations. He would make decisions for all the nations, and that king has not come. 
back as yet. He came, and uh, the Bible says the world knew him not, nor did his own recognize him. So we talked about the coming king in light of the fact the predominant view of evangelical theology is that once this age is over, we enter heaven, and that's it. There is no middle age where Jesus Christ rules and reigns from his throne. It says it comes to pass in the latter days, so that already sets us back some time. Now the Old Testament did not anticipate the church age. That was a mystery to the Old Testament saints. They did not anticipate the uh, fact that uh, the king would be crucified, that Israel would be scattered, and in the meantime, uh, the message of the gospel would go to the Gentiles, as it has for the last 2,000 years. So the Old Testament does not anticipate. Neither did Daniel. Uh, it says when we'll get into Colossians, we'll, we will read about the fact that the church age is really a mystery. So uh, just keeping that in mind. Further, it says, that came about in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord, and it says, will be established as a chief mountain and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Now, someone asked last week, what does mountain stand for? And I gave a very poor answer. And I wasn't happy about my own answer as I left here. So I looked it up a little bit and uh, the mountain of the Lord can be translated Mountain in the Old Testament can be translated mountain. You can also, uh, most of the citadels and most of the capitals were built on mountains, so sometimes it's, it, it referred to a mountain. Here it says literally that it will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it and people will say, come let us go to the mountain of the Lord to the house of Jacob. So it's a kind of identified with it. But it appears to be a literal mountain as well. Turn to Isaiah chapter 27 verse 13. Isaiah 27 verse 13. Someone read that please. And in that day a great trumpet will sound. Those who were perishing in Assyria and those who were exiled in Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain of Jerusalem. They will come and they'll worship at the mountain in Jerusalem. Isaiah 66, 20. Isaiah 66, 20. They will bring all your brothers from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord on horses and chariots and wagons and on mules and camels, says the Lord. They will bring them as the Israelites bring their grain offerings to the temple of the Lord in their ceremonially clean vessels. Okay, they're going to bring their, their uh, things in the millennium to the mountain of the Lord where his temple, the house of the Lord is. Uh, Ezekiel chapters 40 to 44 give you uh, details to the cubit how large this temple is going to be. 
and the grounds that surround this temple. In fact, if that temple in Jerusalem were built literally today, it would extend, the property of that temple would extend into the Mediterranean Sea. It's going to be a massive structure. The University of Chicago, somebody took the figures and made a mock-up of it. It's a great, it's a beautiful temple. It's in, uh, it's on display in wherever they display it in the University of Chicago. It's quite a quite a, a piece of work. So it's not just the city of Jerusalem? No, this is the temple only. But is the mountain of the Lord at Jerusalem? Yes. Right. It's in Israel, but it's in Jerusalem. What did you ask me now that you raised the issue? <laughs> <laughs> well, you talking that cube, I thought the new city was the cube. Jerusalem. Okay, that's a new Jerusalem. That's different. That's different than this. This is a millennial oh. temple. It's got to be large enough because all the world has to go to it at least once a year. Alright, take a look at the Ezekiel 20 verse 40. Just on this mountain. Arnold Fruchtenbaum, who is a uh, prophetic teacher, a Jewish who, uh, man who was saved out of a, a uh, conservative Jewish home. Uh, I talked to him years ago and uh, his father, once he accepted Christ, uh, his father never talked to him again until he died. Never talked to his father after he once was baptized. He rejected his son. His mother, however, did come to know Christ, but uh, his father was a Orthodox Jew and uh, totally refused to speak to Arnold. And Arnold, uh, in his book on uh, Theology of Israel, says that the highest mountain in the world will be in Jerusalem. And here's where the temple will be on it. And every mountain of the uh, world, remember, in this particular era, every mountain will be moved and every er, removed and every island taken down. So it's he might have a point that the highest mountain in the world will be where the temple of uh, God will sit in, in, in Israel, in Jerusalem. I had a question. When, when you look at the flood, after the, after the flood, did God not raise the mountain? Yeah. So it's not going to be that hard for him to remove the mountains and make that the highest mountain. I don't see where that's going to be a problem. For no, I don't either. I guess I never thought of it in those terms until I read his book yeah. this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, it is a different look at it. Uh, hard, when you say hard, there's nothing too hard for God. No. Quite frankly. He spoke and it all came into existence. So. I'm doing that Sunday morning. He's the creator. Jesus Christ receives the preeminence because in essence he's the creator. Okay, last verse, Micah 4.12. Or Micah 4.2. I used to say, turn where your pages stick together. 
Well, now mine do. Do you want that Ezekiel 2040 verse? Oh, yeah, read that. <laughs> For on my holy mountain, on the high mountain of Israel, declares the Lord God, there the whole house of Israel, all of them will serve me in the land. There I will accept them, and there I will seek your contributions and the choicest of your gifts with all your holy things. The high mountain in Israel, is that what you read there? Did yep. I hear you correctly? Yep. Okay. Micah 4.2, try that one. And many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of our God in Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth out of Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Okay, so the worship will be the temple in uh, Jerusalem, and that the details of that temple are described in Ezekiel 40 to 44. You want to read an architectural plan? Go read that plan. If you're reading through the Bible in a year and you get there, you realize that that is uh, definitely an architectural work as he describes all the aspects of the building and figuring a cubit to a foot and a half. So all the stuff they're making now is for the Millennial Temple? Uh, not in their mind. The, the Jews now who are making the temple, stuff for the temple, actually believe there's and there will be another temple right now there's no temple in Jerusalem uh, the uh, temple grounds sets a uh, mosque of Omar and El Aska the third most holy uh, uh, mosque in the world so there's two Islamic temples there and uh, the, the Jews, the Orthodox Jews, probably the conservative Jews as well, believe they will build a temple there, and they're preparing to, re, to, to build the temple, not the millennial. And that one will be destroyed. That one will be destroyed. So will they get it built? Yeah. When will it be destroyed? You mean when Christ comes back? No, it'll be destroyed in the middle. Uh, what's going to happen is uh, the Antichrist is going to go into that temple and say, I am, I am your Redeemer, I am your Christ. If they were to build a temple now, there, there would be a holy jihad. There'd be a war, massive war. According to Daniel chapter 9, the future Antichrist will make a treaty with Israel for seven years. Is that how they'll get it built there? Yeah. And that treaty will be signed for seven years, but it will be broken in the middle of the seven years. So, that, you can understand how that happens now. Uh, Israel Israel is outnumbered, what, 1,000 to 1 in that whole area? And uh, Israeli jets said at the end of the runway they're tired of war because some of the sections of Israel are less than 25 miles wide between the Mediterranean Sea and their enemies. 
So they said to Jets, they get tired of that. They're war weary. And every now and then you hear the news where rockets fly over from Gaza and uh, Israel strikes back with quite a bit of power to keep that stuff down. Yes. Um, that Ezekiel 20:40 passage, that's prophetic of the millennial kingdom because right. that has not happened yet. That's no. never, all of Israel has never submitted to Christ. No. He's anticipating that. Remember, Ezekiel is in captivity in Babylon. Mm -hmm. That's where he's writing from. So in, in, when Ezekiel writes, there's not even a nation. It's, a, it's all in captive. So he's writing, that's hopeful for the Israelites. Hey, we're going to get back. and uh, But it never materialized. All right, let's survey Isaiah 60 and 61. Isaiah's chapter 60 and 61. Okay. Somebody read Isaiah 61, 4. This is not in order. But just sort of in order, but not in order in the Bible. Isaiah 61, 4. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastation. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Okay, they're going to rebuild the cities at some point during this age here. We're here. This is coming. Okay, look at verse 5. 60, verse 5. Chapter 60, verse 5. Then you will look and be radiant, your heart will throb and swell with joy. Wealth on the sea will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Well, that hasn't happened. I'm still waiting. How about Isaiah 61 7? Hey, Kate had to keep jumping around. But Isaiah 61 7. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. And instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. Okay. They will have double of everything. Israel. They've been kicked from pillar to post. The anti-Semitic feeling has dominated the last 2,000 years. In the millennium, they'll have double points. That would, yeah. that would, that is. They'll have great abundance. Israel will receive an everlasting covenant. Look at 61.8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant. Okay. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Look at uh, prosperity of Israel in Isaiah 60, 6 through 9. Herds of camels will 
will cover your land, your young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all of Sheba will come, bearing gold, bearing golden incense, and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. All caterers' flocks will be gathered to you. The rams of Nebuchadnezzar, the bile, the bile will serve you. They will be accepted as offerings on my altar, and I will adorn my glorious temple. How far am I going? To nine. Who are the, who are these that fly along? Who are these that fly along like clouds, like doves to their nests? Surely the islands look to me in the in the lead are the ships of Tarshish, bringing your sons from afar with their silver and gold to the to the honor of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for He has endowed you with splendor. Okay, so Israel will be endowed with splendor. People would be glad to bring their wealth to Israel. Because of who and what they are. They're God's chosen. Alright, look at Isaiah 60, verse 18. 60, verse 18. No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders. But you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Okay, violence will be eliminated. <clears throat> be no violence in the land. <clears throat> but you said in a millennium, I mean, there'll be nations, right? Sure. Just said nations will bring, Sheba will bring their stuff, and nations will come. Uh, God will decide. The United Nations will not make decisions that they can't keep or don't enforce. But God will, God the Son, will make decisions for the nations, and they will obey Him. Maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but the next verse talks about no need for the sunshine. Yeah, that's my next section, Brett. You're stealing my show. It's all right. Try it. Go ahead and read it. you got to start it. Read 19 and 20. The sun shall be no more nor light by day, nor, your, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Okay, that's kind of qualified later in the in the Bible that that refers to the new city the new Jerusalem that'll be lit all the time day and night so we're jumping ahead here yeah that's even jumping ahead a little bit but there is there is a bleed over from here to here there's some things that are true here that will be true here there's a Jerusalem in both pardon there's a Jerusalem this Jerusalem will be replaced by the new Jerusalem tell the difference between in these verses like how do you decide whether it's the millennium it's speaking about or the eternal state am I the, uh, only, am I the only one confused by that no. No. no I don't think you are how do you decide which is uh, which go with me to 1 Corinthians now I don't have my old bible so I have to look for this verse where, it's, where it says comparing spiritual things with spiritual uh, da -da 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 -da. it 
It's either in First or Second Corinthians. It's not coming. Okay, let's pick it up in uh, verse ten of chapter two of First Corinthians. He points out in verse nine things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which has not uh, entered the human heart. All that God has prepared for those who love Him. This doesn't come from human wisdom. Verse 10. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among people knows the thoughts of a person except the Spirit of a person that is in him? You know, I don't know what's in your spirit or motivations. You don't know what's in mine. But being a human being, I can read some things. Because I, I understand human beings. When I see a person walking to a McDonald's, I assume he's hungry. If he's going to Aurora, it'll be a while. <laughs> That's a slow one. But anyway, the point is, I understand what's in the heart of a man because I am a man. And women understand what's in the heart of women because they're women. And that's why the Bible says in Titus, women should teach women. They understand women. No man does. Only men understand. It's a question enigma to us. The point is now, he says, so we understand that. But he says, so also the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know things freely <clears throat> given to us by God. We also speak those things in words taught by human wisdom, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining, here's my point, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. In other words, you take a verse of Scripture and you read it, and you read another verse of Scripture, and it seems to uh, nullify what you just read. So how are you going to find out what's really said? You have to study it and take the context into which it's said. The illustration I've used over the years is, okay, let's say we have 3,000 manuscripts of the Bible that we pretty well know what the Word of God is. And you're a fifth grade teacher and you write the President of the United States. He writes the class a letter back. Teacher tells students, everybody copy the letter. When they're all done, she loses the letter. How's she going to find out what the President said? Comparing all the 3,000 copies. Some are bright students. Some are not. Some leave out of the, some leave out of word, some add. But by comparing them all, she finds out. So we have the Word of God. Now we just take passages of Scripture and we compare the kingdom in Isaiah with Revelation, which we'll do in a little bit. And some things don't jive. What happens in the millennial kingdom, does, even though it's great and wonderful, does not happen in the eternal state. 
And we'll see that as we go along. So it's just comparing it, comparing and comparing. It takes work. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. God just handed this to us in bits and pieces. And he, okay, work it out. And the world didn't need the sun until day four, right? Right. So it's possible. Hmm? God created light the very first day. But put it in some locale so that you could have day and night. And I believe there's a re deliberate reason why God did that. What's, what's the main worship of the world today? The sun. My goodness, if we didn't have a sun, we wouldn't have what? A world. According to the world. The sun cooked a little pot, a little pond that bred a little protozoa who was sufficient enough to, maybe two of them, so that they could at least reproduce. If they were killed, what do we got to go through the whole process again? And it's all due to the sun. No, it's not. Who made the sun? And inter interesting statements made by Job. He said, if I would have kissed the sun, worship the sun, if I would have kissed the sun, maybe all this would have been worth it. But I didn't kiss the sun. Because the whole world's kissing the sun. Sooner or later. All right, and, we, and by the way, the sun is being burned up. I, did you know that? It loses a bunch of energy every day. And we only get a microscopic bit of that energy that's from that massive, where you could put a thousand Earths in the sun. Then you have Bulldogies, where you could take the whole orbit from the sun to Pluto and stick it in that star. Or nothing. What is man, David said, that you are mindful of him? When I consider the sun, the moon, and stars, what are you, God? What are you that you consider us? Question. Sorry. Um, I can definitely, like that 19 and 20 where the Lord is our everlasting light, that's, as we've talked about in pre previous weeks, like that's new heaven, new earth. Okay, I'll explain that too in a little bit. But, and I see that like in... There's a lot of references that seem like at the end of that chapter it is the new heaven and new earth. What in this chapter points more towards the millennial kingdom? I'll hold that question while you please. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. Next week. <laughs> if we go long enough, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be able to forget it. I have a short comment. Um, I, I don't remember where I came across this, if it's in Isaiah or a book or two before it. But it said on the day of the Lord, uh, when he returns, it will be as, sharp, as bright as seven suns. In Revelation. Is that where it's at? That's where it's at. Okay. I don't know. I stumbled across that, and it's essentially making the point that it's going to be obvious you're going to know. It's, inter it's interesting that the whole cosmos will be uh, uprooted when Jesus Christ comes. Stars will fall. All kinds of things are going to happen. 
So there's going to be a, a massive change over here coming. Could, I'm going to bring it up Sunday, but this is a preview of coming attractions. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter three. Peter answers a question beginning with verse uh, two. A question is raised. And uh, well in verse three, let's go to verse three. Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking following their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For all things, for, all, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue just as they were from the beginning of creation. That's evolutionary thought. Evolution is based on a uniformitarian principle that it takes so many years for carbon to be compressed into diamonds, right? So it takes thousands and thousands of years. And so everything is that way. So what you see out here, I was reading something the other day about some of the mountains in uh, Arizona, and this guy was pointing out that this section of mountains was 27 million years ago. There was a volcano. Uh, does anybody know what can happen in a million years? I was gone in 50 years from this area and came back a few years ago, and I couldn't believe the changes I saw in 50 years. You know when you drive at the Bradshaw exit on your way to York, there was a town there, Charleston, right on that exit, the Bradshaw from off uh, I-80 to Bradshaw, that exit. Used to be a, uh, a uh, depot there for a long time. My grandfather ran a hardware, not a hardware, but my grandfather in that town had a lumber yard and a railroad track ran through. But things can happen fast. And God gave us a really good test in uh, Mount St. Helens. We have a thousand foot deep canyon that that took place in 24 hours and has all the layers. So if you came back and you had to have a uniformitarian thought, you'd say, well, this layer fits five million years ago, and this layer fits this, and this layer fits that, with your, your preconceived assumption. If you didn't know what happened in 1980. So, why did I even get on this subject? <laughs> I don't remember anymore. But my point is, what was the point? Did you raise it? Uh, nope, not this time. Okay. Back to uh, verse 21 of Isaiah 60. All right. There's an example of what uh, she said about uh, how do you know the difference between 
which millennium you're talking about, oh, yeah. whether it's the eternal state. If you look at Isaiah 66 and uh, verse 23, it says there, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. The new heaven and new earth here is not the same as the eternal state. Well, yeah, I'm because good what you have here is people actually die here. Yeah, we'll you're get not going to die right. in the eternal state. So, so again, you compare scripture with scripture, yeah. like you said. Yeah, and that's the only way you know these things. We'll show you that yeah. in my next section. Okay. <laughs> Roger well, and Brett keep jumping ahead of me. <laughs> But it intertwines them together. Like you can have one verse, yeah. and then the next verse might be right. I mean, yeah. You want a real example of that? <laughs> I don't know why mine didn't take it. Go to Luke four. But that's a common Bible thing, right? Because aren't there there are Old Testament prophecies that apply to Jesus and Jesus' second coming, both exactly. in the same verse. In the same verse, Luke four. Jesus goes to the temple. And uh, they give him a passage to read in the synagogue beginning with verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and he was, as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Normally if a person came in in a synagogue, with some moxie, they generally let him read the scriptures. So they gave him the scripture. Verse 17, the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to, to being good, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recover the sight of the blind, to set free those who are opposed, oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he stops, rolled up the book, gave it back to attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all the people in the synagogue were intently directed toward him. And he said to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he stopped in the middle of a sentence. And he quotes from uh, Isaiah, is it 62? 61. 61. Now read that verse to me, please. Or read it for the group, whoever's got it. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and and the day of vengeance of our Okay, life. see, he stopped when? Just before that. Just before the vengeance. Which is the tribulation. Two thousand years between that verse. I think he knew what he was doing. Alright. And what you're saying is between those verses from that verse he quoted to the next verse, which he did not quote, are large amounts of time. 2,000 years. 2,000 years. Between the day of vengeance is still waiting. Right. 
between that verse and the next verse, 2,000 years. They're looking at it, they're shocked. And actually, it's a sentence. In the Hebrew, he quits in the middle of the sentence. Shuts the book, sits down. Purposely to raise the issue, I think. Okay, one more on 61 and 60. The people will possess the land. Take a look at it. Isaiah 61, 2, 21. Isaiah 61, 21. I think we're right there. There's no 21. There's 21 and 60. Isaiah 61, 2, 21. Okay, that must be what it is then. Yeah, that's the land. Uh, yeah. Then all your people will be righteous. They will possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. Okay, how long are the people going to possess the land? Forever. So that's one of the things that bleeds over from the millennium into the eternal. It's the promise of Abraham. Abraham uh-huh. Yeah, you had the covenant given to Abraham. You will possess this land forever. Well, for 1,900 years, they didn't possess the land. For 70 years, they didn't possess the land in the days of the Babylonian captivity. And they never fully got the land, right? No, they never fully occupied everything that God promised Abraham. All right. Go to Isaiah 62. Verses 1 to 5. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness, and all the kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of the God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called my delight in her, in your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young so, so shall your sons marry you, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride. So shall your God rejoice over you. Okay, so uh, they're going to be the crown of beauty. What is described in, here in Isaiah is not the eternal state, but the mediatorial millennial kingdom of Christ. So go to Isaiah 65. Next to the last chapter. And look at verse 17 only for now. What do we read there? Isaiah 65. Verse 17. Behold, I will create a heaven and a new earth. Foreign things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Okay, now, Roger already has raised the issue is that when you when we get into this, you're gonna find people grow old, people have children in the millennium, 
as we go through these passages. But now turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. He's creating a new heaven and a new earth again, but they're not exactly the same. Same terminology, but two different contexts. Revelation 21, verse 4. How does it start? He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And 21 4? Okay, go to 21 1. I'm sorry, Vince. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the older, excuse me, for the old order of things has passed away. The one I want you to notice is in verse 4, no longer be any death. Now go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, and following to 28. 15, 20 to 28. Probably, for time's sake, let's go to uh, verse 23 and start there, the 28. Talking about the resurrection. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ's at coming, at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. Okay, we can stop there for now. You can read the rest later. But what's the last enemy to be destroyed? Death. Death. And that does not happen here. That happens here. There will be death in the millennium. Okay, question. Small one. So there's millennial kingdom, new heaven and new earth, and then there's eternity. And those, there's a difference between new heaven and new earth and eternity. This is called the new heaven and new earth in Isaiah. Okay. Because it's vastly different than this. Right. This is called the new heaven and new earth because it's vastly different than this. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing after that, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. There's no third circle after that. No. Right? Okay. No right. Did I uh, did I confuse your question? No, no. Brought in. In my copy in Revelation 21, it has new heaven and new earth in quotations, as in it's making a reference to something. Like that is a phrase that is used in okay. like comparison to Isaiah 65, it just says new heavens and new earth. So there's some meaning there. Right. I don't know what it is. I think the context more than anything gives you the meaning. Because 21 comes after what in Revelation? The judgment. 
Uh, for example, in 19, Christ comes back again. Then in Revelation 20, you have the end of the thousand years, and Satan makes his last push to destroy Christ's kingdom, and he is destroyed immediately. That's his last push. Then there's a new heaven and new earth, and there is then no more death. Because the people who join with Satan to make a push against Christ are what? Destroyers. Then the great white throne judgment. Then the new heaven and new earth. See, there's a chronology there, actually. Okay, now we know all the enemies have now been subdued in this particular point. There are no enemies of God anywhere in this age, period. Now let's take a look briefly at, uh, at uh, Isaiah 65 where it says, maybe I need to read this for sake of going on. I'll go ahead and read it. Isaiah 65, 17, For behold, I create a new heaven and new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For I behold, I create the Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. No new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Jerusalem will be a source of joy, no more weeping or crying. Verse 20, no longer will there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days, for youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought of a curse. Now if somebody's 100 years old, we call him blessed today. But if somebody dies then, they'll say he died in his youth at 100 years. No more infant deaths. Older people will live out their lives and not die early. A person who dies at 100 will be considered cursed. During our era, a person who dies at 70, 80, no one considers this unusual. Well, how old was he when he died? I hear, I'd say, how old was he when he died? Well, he's 90. No offense, but I think, well, don't you? Yeah, he lived out his days. Probably thinking that about me. They build house, they build a house and inhabit them, verse 21. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and another inhabit. Verse 22, they will not plant and another eat. For as a lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people, and my chosen ones will wear will wear out the work of their hands. People live long enough and enjoy the fruit of their labor. My dad said it's always twisted around. When I'm young and working, then I, I don't have time for the family. When I'm now older and I've made a little few bucks, and I can retire, I can enjoy the family, family come. Is there any Millennium, you'll be able to enjoy your, enjoy your family. Is there any correlation to pre-flood? Everybody was living a lot longer. 
in that sense. And Could now be. Once everything's yeah. been restored, then now they're back to. That might be. I'm not. I don't know that I can answer that. Well, here's the difference. After the flood, God said that man would live three score and cannon by reason of hell, four score. Yeah. Now you come to here, that'd be 80 years old if you're really good. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but here in the millennium, it's different. Yeah, just like you said up there. It, 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 it's a, it's a different, different deal. Now if you're 100 and you die, well, wait a minute. That's the exactly. Guy didn't live yeah. very long, did he? Now look what it says in verse 23, or in verse 24. I will also come to pass that before they call, I'll answer, and while they're still speaking, I will hear. Do you ever get a delay in your prayer? We do, don't we? Keep on praying. you got to keep on praying. Then uh, prayers will be short. Take a look at Zechariah 8, 2-8. I'll, I'll finish in 10 minutes. Yes. Okay. When they talk, when there's anything about death and that kind of stuff, then we know that's the millennial new heaven and earth. The other one would have it's perfect. There's no right, no death. So Sean, that might help a little bit. Because <laughs> that's no which is which. See by comparing the two. Zechariah eight two to eight. Thus says the Lord, I'll return to Zion and dwell in the middle of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women will again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each man with his staff in his hand because of his age. Now does that sound like eternal state? No. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in the streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Is it too difficult in the sight of the remnant of the people in those days? Will it also be too difficult in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts? Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I'm going to save my people from the land of the east, from the land of the west, and they will bring them back, and they will live in the middle of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I'll be their God in truth and righteousness. That's a millennium. Look at Zechariah 14. Verse 16, Then it will come to pass that any who are left out of all nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths celebrates God's provision. And it will be that whichever families of the earth does not go to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. You think that happens now. Uh, but it's going to be definitely a judgment. If the family of Egypt does not go up or enter, then no rain will fall on them. It'll be the plague with which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. There's sin. There's rebellion. Which is quelled because he's ruling what? With a rod of iron. So people will try that. They won't yes, that. yes. Rebellion's in the heart of people. Every one of you have had children know that, that it's natural. You will not have to sit down when they turn 16 and 
tell them you now need to learn how to lie and rebel and all that. They've already learned that. The point is you want to correct that before they get there. Right? You want to you want you want to correct some of those things early. Don't don't come to a teenage and then wonder why they don't obey if you're not obeying your own. Okay. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booth. In that day, there will be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to the Lord. Cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like bowls before the altar. Every cooking pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord, and all who sacrifice will come and take them and boil in them, and there will be no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts in that day. It will be a pure Israel name. So, old people, holding, walking on a staff, children playing in the streets. I just saw my computer, I get the news when I'm flipping on, on the computer this morning, a sheriff telling the people, don't let your children play in the streets because of a kidnapping. Well, surely in the eternal state, not everybody will be 33 years old, will they? Oh, yeah. They'll all be like Jesus. We're talking about the millennium. I know. I just ask. <laughs> so uh, there's not a lot of description about the eternal state except in the negative. No crying, no pain, no separation, no death. Jesus is going to rule till everything is totally restored. And all, all who believe have eternal life. Everything he intended for this world to be, be was destroyed by Satan and sin. We didn't do much about it, but even the animals. You know, I found it interesting when Aaron preached Sunday morning that he didn't mention it or get on that, but the last verse of the book of uh, Jonah, chapter 4, the last verse says, and even the animals. I thought that's interesting. Twitch to the whole story. So what are the animals? Romans 8. They're under a curse. I just looked out of here when I got here earlier and I looked out that window and a rabbit has eaten all the vegetation off about four plants. And he was in the midst of doing it as I saw him. Now he's a critter. And there and he was pretty when I just moving the blinds caused him to look up. That's how sensitive he is to danger. Any comments or questions? Uh, the year of the Lord's favor, that Isaiah sixty one, Luke four comparison. So there's the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance. So the day of vengeance is just the second coming. Yeah, and so what is the year of the Lord's favor? Jesus being on earth yeah, as incarnate. So. Okay. I think the year of the Lord would probably really refer to the morning. Okay. And we'll go through it. When you go through the Gospels, you, you read. Don't go to the house of the Gentiles or the Samaritans. The kingdom is for Israel. And remember this, 
the woman, the sire, Tyre Poseidon woman came. She says, I have a daughter who's demon-possessed. Well, so that you don't pay attention. I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she had faith. And she said, that's true. That even the dogs, Gentiles, have a right to eat off the crumbs of the dead. He said, I haven't seen this kind of faith in Israel. And, and, and Paul makes a big deal about this in Romans 9 and 10. If the fall and the dispersion of Israel brought the church and the Gentiles in, what do you think it's going to be for the Gentiles when I come back and bring the kingdom in? If their curse brought blessing, how much will their blessing be when I bless them? Is the argument. So the millennium will be a time of uh, a great time for people to live, but they still, uh, people who are born in that particular era will still have to make a decision as to what they're going to do with Jesus Christ. So will we be witnessing or will they just, you know what I'm saying? We'll be uh, ruling and reigning with Christ, whatever that is. I know, what, but are we, I, I'm just asking, I don't know why, but you say they'll have to accept Jesus as their Savior. Well, yeah, there won't be any witnessing in the millennium, as I understand. Everybody will know God. But There'll they be no have, Bible to, make studies a, like have this. to make a decision whether they... Yeah. They'll have to go to Jerusalem. They will have seen Jesus Christ in person. I people say, I don't even know if Jesus existed. I must believe it. I must see him to believe it. Well, the world will have its chance. Under ideal conditions. See, that's what our politicians are going to promise us in the next year till November. If we elect them, it'll be a millennium. Everybody will be educated. You'll have a health program like you've never seen before. Free access to health, free education, debts retired from college, no more taxes, everybody's a slave to the government. So where's the where it says there will be no sea, is that in the millennium or eternal state? Well, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for encouraging us and reminding us this world is not our home. We're just passing through. And so, Father, may we live like it. May we realize that our investment is in to be in heaven where neither rust nor moth nor thieves creep in and steal. So, Father, may we realize that this is only a temporary dwelling place and very small and minute in light of all eternity. We look forward to all the blessings that you have yet to shower us with and we anticipate. In the meantime, may we show the glory of the Lord in a twisted and corrupt world. And may people see Christ and come to know Him 
through us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.